Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Game 7s, Game 7s, Game 7s, so many Game 7s coming at you this weekend. And BetOnline is the place to stop for all of your bets, props, odds, parlays, everything for this amazing weekend of winner go home games. Use the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Oh yeah, everybody. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of Wired Up. This is Wired Up episode 117 here on the Take It Easy podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. I hope everyone is having a fantabulous day, however and whenever you may be stopping in. We got to talk with our friend Blake Jude on Thursday, we got Morgan from Australia's reactions to Celtics and Bucks and the Grizzlies and Warriors series. We talked a whole lot about those. And then on Friday, we got our friend Chris Cluey back on the Take It Easy podcast. Please check out that pod, by the way. I really enjoyed chatting it up with our friend Chris. You can find that anywhere that you get podcasts, literally right below this episode even, if you want to listen to our conversation with Chris. And so... What we neglected to talk about was the Philadelphia-Miami and Phoenix and Dallas series because we were talking to Chris and because Game 5s of both of those series were catastrophic blowouts. And in my mind, when we were talking about those games on Thursday, we talked about Heat and Sixers a bunch with Blake Jude, actually. So we did get a Heat fan perspective on the Heat Sixers series, and Morgan and I talked about it before Game 7. But Game 5 was a blowout for the Heat. Game 5 was a blowout for the Suns. It looked like both of those teams would move on. We'd get to eulogize the 76ers and the Dallas Mavericks sometime on Monday. And lo and behold, the 76ers obliged. The Dallas Mavericks did not. And now, Sunday, we have this amazing, amazing Game 7 between Phoenix and Dallas about to come into fruition, where Dallas is literally one game away from the magical run that I bemoaned we wouldn't get to see three to four weeks ago in a podcast that has aged incredibly poorly, where the Mavericks were down 1-0 to the Jazz. I saw Jalen Brunson on the um, on the graphic for the Dallas Mavericks and just declared that series Jazz in five. And lo and behold, the Utah Jazz blew it. The Mavericks got to the second round. Luka got healthy, and now they are one game away from possibly beating the Phoenix Suns and Chris Paul, who has 18 turnovers in the last three games of this series, which is uncharacteristic for Chris Paul, because Chris Paul sometimes has 18 turnovers over a 10-12 to game stretch. So it's crazy that the Phoenix Suns have fallen the way they have. But we'll talk about that whole series a lot more 
after Game 7, I imagine, after Game 7. Although there could be a whole eulogizing we do now, let's wait till after Game 7. We'll talk about it on Monday. What I want to do here is talk about the Philadelphia 76ers. And I know the 76ers lost two games and got smashed out of the series, kind of like I... I was afraid wouldn't happen when they won those two games in Philadelphia, and then they lost Game 5 by blowout, and then they lost Game 6 by blowout, and everyone had something to say afterwards, whether it be about James Harden, or whether it be about Doc Rivers, or Joel Embiid, or what all three of them had to say themselves after the games. There was a whole lot of chatter the past couple days around the Philadelphia 76ers, because you looked up, and now you can officially say, where do we go from here? as Philadelphia. And we're going to talk about all of this in a second. The first place to begin, though, is to play the wonderful 1970s or 1980s or whatever year song they have as the victory song for the Philadelphia 76ers that I discovered earlier this week. Did y'all know that the process began a decade ago? It's been a decade since the process. That was shocking even to me. Because I don't feel that old. I know I was in the 7th grade when the process started and now I'm graduating college. It's just crazy to me that an entire decade of an organizational philosophy has been constructed around this one idea of we are going to be worse than any single team has ever been in the history of the NBA. And I know that wasn't actually what the process was. The process became a thing because, in, in large part because Pablo Torre, a Harvard graduate, wrote a story about Sam Hinkie for ESPN the magazine that ended up blowing up and leading to everyone talking about the 76ers and them losing a bunch and now the organization was willing to say we are actively trying to lose basketball games. Now they wouldn't say it out in public. They were just making decisions that would only suggest this and the ideology of analytics suggest losing all these games and drafting the most superstar potent players is the best way to build a strong organization. And it subscribed to the philosophy that drafting players ultimately is a crapshoot. 
is that drafting NBA players is all about probabilities and numbers, and the best probability is to be at the top of the draft more years so that you can get generationally gifted players. And that was the entire philosophy of the process and the Philadelphia 76ers and all of this stuff. And so the process begins in 2013, and the process gets its golden child. I mean, it begins, by the way, with trading Drew Holiday to the Pelicans for what ultimately becomes Nerland's Noel. And they flip Drew Holiday for Nerland's Noel, get the, uh, the play poorly enough to get a top draft pick that becomes Joel Embiid. And Joel Embiid is the entire... Joel, his nickname is literally the process. The entire concept of the process was that if we are bad long enough, we will get the draft picks that acquire that player. Who is that player? A Hall of Fame future... A future Hall of Fame player who we will acquire at the top of the draft. And they got Joel Embiid at a time where talent in the NBA was exploding and the league was becoming a global game, and there's just a better talent pool than there's ever been before in the NBA, which leads to more superstar caliber players like Joel Embiid. And Joel Embiid is, Joel's nickname is the process, and it is the most perfect amalgamation of what the process is. And the Sixers did all kinds of stuff around him. I've bemoaned the fact that if they had just taken Porzingis over Jalil Okafor in 2015, if they had taken Jason Tatum over Markel Fultz in the 2020 or 2017 NBA draft, that the process would have worked. They would have taken the reins from the Golden State Warriors, a team that was the next amalgamation of the super team. The next amalgamation was we have the big three Celtics, we have the big three Miami Heat, we have the OK3 team, which is a, a big three formed with three future MVPs all through the draft. Then we have the next amalgamation, which is the Warriors, three superstars, I mean, argue Draymond Green as much as you want, three Hall of Famers drafted to the same organization, entering their primes at the exact same time. The next amalgamation was the super team with Kevin Durant, using free agency to create a big four. And the next amalgamation was going to be getting a big four through the NBA draft. It was going to be four all-star players drafted by the same organization, all entering their primes at the same time. And Porzingis wouldn't have worked out as well as we think it would have. Porzingis still would have been the fourth best player on the Sixers while he was an all-star caliber player for the Knicks. And so the Philadelphia 76ers, even if you take that away, if you take away the Colangelos, well, I guess the first one, if you take away Sam Hinkie messing up Porzingis over Jalil Okafor, and you take the Colangelos messing up Jason Tatum over Markel Fultz, if you take those away even still, you still add Ben Simmons, you add the draft picks and the players like Robert Covington and Dario Saric that ultimately get flipped into Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris. And the cap flexibility, because Joel Embiid is still on his second contract making $28 million a year and Ben Simmons is on a rookie contract, you have the flexibility to add Jimmy Butler, add Tobias Harris, 
and maintain cap flexibility headed into what was supposed to be the magical summer of 2019 in the NBA. And the Philadelphia 76ers, at every step along the way, they got the idea of the process correct by drafting Joel Embiid. And since then, they have failed Joel Embiid every step along the way. Every step along the way. They have messed up in building around Joel Embiid. And this relates to the Miami Heat in this respect. Since the last time the Philadelphia 76ers made the conference finals, which was 2001, the Allen Iverson final season, how many times have the Miami Heat made the conference championship? If you guessed eight times, you would be correct. Eight times in 20 years, the Miami Heat have been one of the last two teams in the Eastern Conference. The Miami Heat are the gold standard of Eastern Conference basketball. They're only behind the Golden State Warriors in terms of gold standard of basketball, period. The Miami Heat, across 20 years, have sustained excellence at a level not seen by any other team in the NBA. They are big brothers to the Sixers. They are big brothers to the Boston Celtics. The, the legacy organizations in basketball, the, the, the teams of the 80s who dominated the sport at the time it was becoming popular. I mean, the Bulls kind of did themselves in, but over Boston, over Philadelphia, over Chicago, Miami is the team at the top. Miami, the, the new organization, relatively speaking, they didn't exist when the Sixers and Celtics were going back and forth in the 80s. They took everything from those teams. They are the big brothers. They are the legacy team in the East. All of that stuff. Philadelphia has gotten really close. They built a team that should succeed as long as they don't mess up every pivotal move that they make. If, they, if this is truly a game of probabilities, like Sam Hinkie talks about, the Philadelphia 76ers just get two of these moves right out of seven. They can at least make the NBA Finals or a conference championship if they just get two of these right. Signing Tobias Harris over Jimmy Butler. Signing Al Horford in free agency in 2019. Drafting Jason Tatum over Markel Fultz. Drafting Chris Stapps Porzingis over Jalil Okafor. Ben Simmons, end of game, pass the ball up against the Hawks, and game five, not blowing a 24-point lead against an inferior Atlanta Hawks team in 2021, and this year, trading Ben Simmons and Seth Curry and Andre Drummond and two first-rounders for James Harden. If they win at two of those seven things, if they just don't blow a catastrophic lead in Game 5, 24-point lead against the Hawks in Game 5 last year, 25-point lead against the Hawks in Game 7, James Harden trade, Jason Tatum, Kristaps Porzingis, Tobias Harris contract over Jimmy Butler, and Al Horford contract in 2019. They get two of those seven right. The Philadelphia 76ers have at least a conference championship or two conference championships to their name or an NBA Finals. All of it works out for Philadelphia the way the, the process revolutionized. I mean, the process was not in and of itself revolutionary. People had been doing it for years. The process would have worked in a way that was never that 
directly said, we're going to be weird, we're going to be different, this is how we're going to execute this turnaround. And it was so close so many times. And I've been bemoaning this for as long as we've had this podcast, which now goes back three years, our three-year anniversary is coming up in a a month or so. As long as we've had this podcast, I have bemoaned the fact that the 76ers were so close, so close to getting this right. They were going to also do it with Brett Brown for the longest time. It was so close so many times for the Philadelphia 76ers. And they just always came up just short. And it's little moves like that that have failed Joel Embiid. Not to the extent that other teams have failed Joel Embiid. The Sixers were starting with more than most franchises had. They Most franchises, like the Denver Nuggets, trying to build around Nikola Jokic. They did it with 8-pick in the draft, Jamal Murray, 14-pick in the draft, Michael Porter Jr., trying to sign players in the smallest media market in the world where the elevation is high and there's a lot of white people. They're doing their best with the assets that they had. What Philadelphia began with was the number one pick in the 2017 draft, the number three pick in the 2015 draft, two max contract slots, Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris already on the team. One player who at the very least is an all-star in Tobias Harris at the time and a player in Jimmy Butler who we see now is one of the 15 best players in the NBA and has been one of the 15 best players in the NBA since he played on the Philadelphia 76ers. You had top 15 player in the sport. You had fringe all-star tier four star in Tobias Harris. You had number one pick in the draft. You had the you had two max contract slots in 2019, number three pick in 2015, and you had multiple 24 point 24 and 25 point leads against the Atlanta Hawks last season. Yes, you might have lost to the Bucks in the conference finals. At least it would have been a building block that doesn't lead to Ben Simmons basically never walking back into the arena or the locker room for Philadelphia again. And by the way, you had Ben Simmons also. So they burned all of their assets that I mentioned there. They burned the 2015 third pick. They burned the first pick in the 2017 draft. They and, and they burned Jimmy Butler. They let him walk in free agency. Didn't get anything for him except half a season of memories. Resigned Tobias Harris to a contract that's now a net negative because he's making $36 million per season. And they used the extra spot to sign Al Horford, who they then had to attach a first-round pick to to trade to Oklahoma City. If they just get one of those things right, then they don't have to find themselves in a position where it's just Joel Embiid, it's just Ben Simmons, and the asset cupboard is bare around them. And they got like Danny Green and Seth Curry, and that was the building pieces that Daryl Morey got in like valuable acquisitions, in value-adding Seth Curry, in value by trading Josh Richardson, which seemed to be a great move in hindsight. They value added Seth Curry. They value added Danny Green. They got Shake Milton developed. They at least did some things right. But altogether, like we're talking about premium draft picks that some teams don't see for 15 years. They had two of those, an already top 15 player and a fourth-tier all-star in Tobias Harris, which as much as you love Seth Curry, most people argue Tobias Harris is a better player than Seth Curry. You you had all of those things, 
and every single one didn't work out the way you intended it to work out, or work out in a way that delivered results. So now you're left with just two prime assets, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and some draft picks, which you could have used to acquire a star who wanted to play for you. But two premium assets left. They flipped Ben Simmons, and they flipped the pieces that they got as value acquisitions to get James Harden. And now James Harden is in a place where James Harden now is about as good as Jimmy Butler was when you had him back in 2019. That's the best you can say about James Harden at this stage of his basketball career. And th- now they like they feel it feels like they lost the James Harden trade and now they're staring down a sunken cost fallacy where James Harden could be an ultimate sunken cost because either they keep him and hire Dan Tony Hope he accepts his player option so that next year you can reevaluate things. Or you possibly move on from him. And I don't think it's going to happen, but it's possible. Like it, it, there's, a, there's a big gap between Harden's maximum possible contract, which is $270 million, which I don't know if anyone would pay him that, the, the $270 million. The, the, the Sixers are probably around like four years, $150 million. For James Harden at this point, which is about what he's making right now. So either they bridge that gap of a hundred million dollars, or perhaps James Harden tries to go play elsewhere at a, in, a, in a place where you know maybe everyone doesn't already hate him, like it seems like Philadelphia does right now. Like pretty much everyone in the organization seems to not like James Harden. So now for Philadelphia, the asset cupboard is bare. And unless a superstar player chooses to come play for the Philadelphia 76ers because they want to play alongside Joel Embiid, there isn't really anything left that the Philadelphia 76ers can do. Like This this is the core of the team that you have. Their only path to turning this around is free agency and... Unless Damian Lillard does decide he wants to go pair alongside Joel Embiid, which would be a really interesting duo that probably gets them in the championship conversation, like there is nothing left for Philadelphia to do. We saw it this year. The Miami Heat were simply a better team than the Philadelphia 76ers at the end. Maybe that was part because Philadelphia was over this shit and ready to go home. And the first two games of the series toss out because Joel Embiid wasn't playing. Even in games 3, 4, 5, and 6, if you just take that tiny sample size, Miami Heat, a better team than the Philadelphia 76ers, or at the very least, they are equally as good as Philadelphia. We'd been saying all season that the the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets were the two elite championship contenders in the NBA. Okay, you take away Brooklyn, you have one elite contender, it's the Milwaukee Bucks, your, tier, your second round exits, your second tier of teams is Philadelphia, Miami, Boston, possibly Brooklyn. So uh, you could throw in the mix there. Who is the team that lost um, 
in the first anyways the point not Toronto the point still stands like those are the teams that were right there all year long and someone had to make the conference finals Miami incrementally was better than Philadelphia and benefited from Joel Embiid being out the first two games of the series because he had a concussion and even when he got back didn't want to post people up Miami better team than Philadelphia and the problem for Philadelphia is how do you improve now well you've gone backwards now you went backwards in 2020 you were the number one seed in 2021 and should have gone to the conference finals. Now you've gone backwards again in 2020, and the only path to improvement is a superstar choosing to join your team, which, by the way, hasn't really happened that much recently. Now, if any superstar is going to leave their team, Philadelphia, and, and has a say in where they go, like Damian Lillard or Donovan Mitchell, like th- those people have a say in where they're going to go Philadelphia is a desirable destination because they have Joel Embiid but that's the same reason why James Harden got there in the first place and they went all in on our last ditch effort is James Harden and it's not going to work out the way they had intended it to because Ben Simmons versus James Harden appears to be a minimal upgrade and I know people are pointing to the James Harden didn't shoot at the end of game six and the parallels between that and Ben Simmons. That's a symptom of a larger concern that the Sixers may have. The the most premier one of which is that James Harden is now just a tier three player in the NBA. And this is how the aging process works on stars like James Harden, especially those who have done damage to their bodies over the past five years or so. This is how the aging process works is that you're not a tier one star. You become a tier two star tier three star and if you don't take care of the body that incremental step leads to a precipitous drop off and so the philadelphia 76ers are looking at this like we have a an all-star and one of the best players in the nba that theoretically should be good enough to get us to the second round every single year it's not the best player in the nba it's one of the four to five best players in the nba that should theoretically get us to the second round every single year simply because we have joel Embiid and James Harden. If you want to take the next step, it's going to have to be building the core around them with a Jimmy Butler or a Tobias Harris, which they tried to do in 2019, and they were close. Like They they got Kawhi Leonard bounced out of the playoffs. They were really close, and they've retooled the entire team multiple times since then, post-Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. So that looks like the the path that the Sixers are on. No real path to improvement at this point. And by the way, the last thought I have here around the Sixers is uh, one Jimmy Butler. Because as Jimmy Butler was headed off the floor at the end of the 76ers heat game, in which he delivered the amazing line that you've heard sprinkled in throughout the podcast of... Even as Jimmy Butler hits the 76ers with that, 76ers fans on the way out were cheering Jimmy Butler. The ones that were left smattering at the end of that game, they were they were cheering for their man Jimmy Butler. They still got an affinity for Jimmy Butler. And I hypothesize that Sixers fans liked things just a little bit better when Jimmy Butler was there. That, that idea of a superstar, especially for white people, 
that idea of a superstar who's a little over the top and a little crazy, just like their fan base, it appeals. And they liked things just a little bit better when Jimmy Butler was there. And they liked the Miami Heat just a little bit more than they did back in 2019. Just a little bit more fun when Jimmy Butler was playing for you guys and you got to embrace that dude over Ben Simmons and James Harden and Joel Embiid who said in his post-game press conference that everyone needed to be more aggressive, including Matisse and Tyrese and the bench guys, but never said anything about himself. The selfish, self-centered Joel Embiid is nothing compared to Jimmy Butler, according to Sixers fans who cheered Jimmy Butler after eliminating their team. They liked things just a little bit better. And Joel Embiid is left with a decision. Do you stay? Do you try and recruit another star to come join you? What is the next path for the Philadelphia 76ers? Or is everyone happy where they are? And this is just the natural inevitability of not everyone can be good forever. Even if you have a superstar, those superstars don't have to stay. What do the 76ers do now to try and get over the hump? We don't know, but I guess we'll find out with time. Not many good options left except for finding a bona fide superstar willing to come join your basketball team to play alongside Joel Embiid. That's kind of what we thought James Harden was, though. So maybe the best bet is just rolling out another year with Harden. Hopefully he accepts his player option instead of asking for a four-year extension. At least if you're 76ers management. If you're James Harden, go get your money. I don't really care. Pro labor. Let's go. James Harden, Albatross contract to join the, I don't know, the Sacramento Kings. Let's go. Albatross contract for James Harden <laughs> over, the next, uh, over the next five years. Make it the new Russell Westbrook contract. <laughs> go get your money, James Harden. Maybe from the Sixers, maybe not. Pro labor. Go get your money. Tobias Harris over me? Let's talk real quick about Game 6, Bucks and Celtics. I don't have much on that other than that might be the most entertaining basketball I have watched since last year. And I've said that a couple times so far here in the NBA playoffs. I definitely said it after Game 3, Bucks and Sixers. I definitely said it during Game 4, Memphis-Golden State. This one, I think, is the is the one. Because in a game that didn't come down to the wire, let's say, because, you know, Game 1 of Brooklyn and Boston, in hindsight, the big part, and it was probably a, a decider in the series, when Kyrie hits you with 41 and it just doesn't matter and Kevin Durant's caught lollygagging, and Jason Tatum hits a game winner. Let's say in a game that was a 10-plus point lead the entire game, like just purely amazing basketball, from Giannis, who put up 42-20 and 20 in three and a half quarters, for the first, first time it's happened in any basketball game since Shaquille O'Neal in 2001, a game, by the way, that he lost... To Allen Iverson. Like Giannis Antetokounmpo had a 
um, had a career game, and I know he has career games all the time. Like he had a forty point triple double in Game Seven against Boston, he or against Brooklyn last year, and he had a, a fifty point triple double in the finals Game Six, and he averaged thirty seven points a game in the finals. Like Giannis Antetokounmpo had a historic game against the Boston Celtics, and it just didn't matter because Jason Tatum did the superstar thing. And Jalen Brown was just more efficient than Drew Holiday, who just kept chucking and ducking bad shots. And the Bucks missed a lot of threes at the start of the game, so they were already trailing by 10 points. It was just an absolutely incredible, incredible game by the Boston Celtics. Because that's a game where, down the stretch, Giannis asserts himself... And they come back from 10 points down. I talked about this in the Grizzlies and Timberwolves series where the Timberwolves blew three 10-point leads down the stretch in the playoffs. When you're a better team than your opponent and you have a superstar who can go get you a bucket like Memphis does and especially like Milwaukee does with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis is the guy who need a bucket, get you a bucket. Go to the free throw line, he hit 14 of 15 free throws in the game. This was Giannis Game 6 Finals level good performance. And it just didn't matter because the rest of the Bucks didn't show up. And the Boston Celtics had the superstar game. Jason Tatum did the thing. And the thing is, by simply having Jason Tatum on your team, you are guaranteed one game. This was that game. Guaranteed victory, no matter whether Giannis is averaging 36 and 20 this was the game where Jason Tatum was just unbelievable. In the fourth quarter, the Bucks caught it, caught them at five points at one point. It was Tatum three-pointer, Tatum layup, Jalen Brown three-pointer, Tatum and one off the glass. It was back-to-back one after the other, and Boston was incredible. And the Bucks responded with three-pointers and Connaughton layups, Giannis hitting a floater three-pointer, hitting free throws. It was an amazing, amazing basketball game, and Boston just played better. Giannis had like 44 of their 89 points before garbage time. He had like 50% of Milwaukee's points. He did everything he could. And simply put, the Boston Celtics were a better team. And that's incredible for me to see. Now, a big part of that is Chris Middleton isn't there because Boston was favored when the series began. I think that that discredited Giannis a bit because they, I mean, they were slightly heavy favorites. I think they were like minus 180 to start the series. And it was an incredible, incredible performance to mix in with all of the all of the shot making and back and forth and the arena going crazy and the stakes of the game. It was so great. Game seven is going to be a letdown comparatively to that game. It reminds me of the game six between OKC and Golden State from 2016, where we remember game six and forget there was a game seven that happened afterwards because game seven was not a super outlandish performance by either team and the Warriors controlled it all the way. That's one where this was the game and maybe game seven is close and we get the stakes of two minutes to go tie game entire seasons on the line with established superstar and guy who's coming for Giannis's crown. Like maybe we get that at the very end and the Celtics can make a championship run at the same time. 
it feels like it's going to be hard to top just how fun the basketball was in game six. Even if Boston was going to win the entire way, the basketball was just so incredible during that game six. By the way, I also figured out my uh, wrongness about Jason Tatum because I had said all year Jason Tatum is a third tier NBA star and the and the Celtics fell apart last season, which in part I didn't account for how much the Jalen Brown injury impacted the end of the Celtics season and they didn't play great to start the year and they're this great exception across NBA history the same way the Bengals are the great exception in the NFL for winning the conference title last year all that stuff the Boston Celtics are this good because of Jason Tatum they win that game simply because Jason Tatum elevated himself to the level of Kawhi Leonard elevated himself to the level of one of the five best players in the NBA by the snap of a finger with your season on the line. And I think the thing that I misstepped there is Jason Tatum's development wasn't exactly done, which seems counterintuitive, and I feel like people would attack me for that point. Maybe I'm just being a little naive around that. It felt like someone around 24 years old is about as fully formed of a player as they're going to be, especially since Jason Tatum is this weird exception where he's been an important player on a playoff team in 2018 with the Kyrie Irving team and the Terry Rozier team and Gordon Hayward. And then in 2019, he's the second guy. And then by 2020, he is the number one player on the Boston Celtics who almost go to the finals in the bubble. They were favored against the Miami Heat. They lost against the Miami Heat in the conference championship. It was one of the, the more shocking upsets of the... I mean, Miami wasn't a huge underdog in that series, but it was still a series where they were upset. And so now that he's three years as the number one guy six years in the league at 24 years old, it felt like he was as formed of a player as he was going to be in the way that he would elevate himself is by surpa- is by the other stars declining. And I ended up being wrong. Jason Tatum can elevate his game to another level in a way that a superstar does. And it's really, really cool to see that rise of Jason Tatum because, again, the thing I, sw- I swear by all the time, and I know I get branded as a Celtics hater, and you heard me do an entire bonus podcast where I reveled in Morgan from Australia's tears, and yes, I ma- I mean to juju sometimes, and less so with Cam because Cam's not a, a crazy Homer Celtic fan. At the same time, I get that it would be easy for me to slander the Celtics, and I want the Bucks to win because I love Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's my favorite basketball player in the entire world, and I think we need to start having the conversation of him in the tier with LeBron James and Kevin Durant and Tim Duncan and all of these all-time greats. And at the same time, appreciate greatness is my mantra. And it would be incredibly hypocritical for me to say that Jason, to diminish Jason Tatum's greatness because of any kind of personal vendetta about being right. Jason Tatum is amazing at basketball, reminding me so much of Kawhi Leonard now. And maybe I want to speak the Kawhi Leonard thing into fruition because my perfect model of superstars by generation comes down to Jason Tatum being a tweener between the Giannis generation and the Luka generation. Just like Kawhi Leonard was a tweener between the LeBron generation and or the Kevin Durant generation and the Giannis generation. So maybe I want that to believe that that's going to be true. And at the same time, you got to see the comparisons there. He can just get a bucket when you need a bucket. 
this is going to go down. Like, if the Boston Celtics win Game 7, which I told Morgan from Australia this, I think there's a good chance the Boston Celtics win Game 7. I think there's a good chance the Boston Celtics win Game 7. I'm, I'm still going to roll with the Bucks because if you switch your pick mid-series, you just get to be wrong twice. At the same time, I understand why the Celtics are favored in that, ser- in, in that game now. And I've watched enough Celtics basketball now during the last month to understand the hype around the team that I wasn't getting the best picture of when I wasn't watching regular season basketball. Because I admitted I was wrong in saying that the Celtics were a first round exit. They were more in the second round exit group. And I still think if Boston loses game seven to the Bucks, this is still a hugely successful season for the Boston Celtics. It's a hugely, hugely successful season for them. And Boston goes up against Milwaukee and if he if Boston wins that game combined with what happened in the first round against Brooklyn it's going to be a signature what we watched in game six is going to be a signature signature all-time type of performance for Jason Tatum and that was so cool to just recognize it in the moment that this was a thing that was happening appreciate greatness. I'm going to preach that above all else in sports because all of this is not that serious. Jason Tatum is great and it was so much freaking fun to watch that game on Friday. Not just Jason Tatum himself with the game that he put up, but also just the whole playoffs for the Boston Celtics and the whole Bucks and Celtics series because game five and game three and game six were so much freaking fun fun. Game four too. Game four, the Horford-Tatum domination at the end of that game four was so freaking funny and incredible. And we got to talk about Al Horford cucking people during sex. It was such a great basketball game. This whole series has been awesome. Appreciate greatness, man. It's so much fun. And appreciate greatness in the Luca Phoenix series. Oh, rivalries. All kinds of good stuff. Gosh, it's going to be so much fun. Anyways, that's all I've got here. I'm going to head off now. I hope you have a fantabulous weekend. Enjoy Game 7 Bucks Celtics. Enjoy Game 7 Suns Mavericks. We will be back at you on Monday to break it all down, probably with Morgan from Australia, and break it all down at the end of this series. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, take it easy. We'll talk to you again on on Monday. Damn it, almost hit the dismount. On Monday.